Previously on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Astros going to the ALCS for the seventh consecutive time. You've seen somebody that's been there before, and you see him do it over and over. It's the three-run home runs that hurt you in the playoffs. I don't know if you like me, but I hate everything Dallas. Anything north of Huntsville, <laughs> I got a problem with. I don't hate Dallas, but I'm all the way H-Town, baby. That's one thing about me. <laughs> all the way H-Town. Ain't no doubt about that. It may not be a fireable offense, but it's certainly an offense where you got to go talk to the president. Really? Are we doing that? Really? (laughs) I'm just saying, bro. We believe in change and we're prepared for it with new techniques and new approaches. And as for our part, we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region. Let it go out there today, baby. Three, two, one. And once again, our mighty ship is back on course. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Oh, mama, there goes that man. You ladies and gentlemen, the star of our show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. So glad that you are aboard for this episode. We have a fun one, although in minor mourning for the Houston Astros, but it's to be a great episode nonetheless, and I'll tell you what's coming up. But first of all, welcome aboard. If this is your first time, we hope to become a part of your podcast menu, and of course, you can be part of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade community in several different ways. You can join the Facebook group, Sports Talk with Devin Wade Facebook group, and you can also follow me on threads and Instagram at the Devin Wade. And on Twitter at Wade's Word. And, of course, you can check out the website, wadeswordproductions.com, wadeswordproductions.com. And as always, you know the spiel. If you've listened for a while, it's under construction. But it's enough there to go look around and listen to past episodes and all of those things. But most importantly, uh, as important, or a prompt way to interact is by calling the sports line 24 hours a day 832-941-6614-832-941-6614 leave a message and you might end up on the next podcast and if you just have a question a request a a suggestion for a show guest if there's somebody you want us to have on a subject you want us to talk about or you want to rebut something you heard on the podcast that's a great way to do that by calling. So those are ways that you can be involved in the community. This time out, we have a, speaking of calling the sports line, a We the People segment where we'll hear from you guys. In addition to that, I have former Astro and current, what, AT&T Sports? No, it's Space City. The new network in Houston, AT&T Southwest, is now Space City Sports Network or something like that. But he's an analyst for the Houston Astros and, of course, former major leaguer, Part of the special teams unit, Michael Bourne. We have our guy Reggie Brown from the NFL, former NFL football player, another member of the special teams unit, and all of that. So with that, let's get this thing started with some headlines. In headlines, there are a lot of different things that we can go into. Obviously, so much is going on with the start of the NBA season, NFL, college football. But, of course, we're going to start with the Astros. Not even with the World Series. We're going to start with the Astros for the purposes of what we do here, being H-Town-centric. Of course, we talk about everything, but being H-Town-centric and being in pain and minor mourning because the Astros lost, this is where we'll start. Astros lose in Game 7. They lose all four games in the ALCS 
to the Texas Rangers, and the rivalry got funky and kind of bitter, and that's how rivalries have to be. And it's a big deal here in Texas. Well, I mean, again, it's been one-sided in that Houston and Houstonians, a lot of Houstonians hate the Cowboys, hate the Dallas Metroplex. Not, you know, not literally, but hate them in the way that you hate your rival or or your whatever. So there's that. And now the Rangers Astros enter into that. Because, of course, now they're in the same division. They never There was never a rivalry before because the Rangers were like some far-off outpost. On the landscape of baseball, they were like way off in Greenland somewhere. I mean, and of course, they had the success with under Ron Washington. But by and large, they have been a fringe organization. And so they never really were rivals. The Astros have had periodic success from time to time. And, of course, going to the World Series before. But those runs in the 80s were really, really fun to watch. And a couple of Hall of Famers during the 90s and early 2000s, all of that stuff. But there was never a rivalry until now. And now I think it will heat up moving forward. It it may never evolve into Red Sox, Yankees. I mean, obviously it won't. That's one of the greatest rivalries in all the sports. But it could be something. And I look forward to it. Let's see what happens moving forward. But Dusty Baker retires. Congratulations on Dusty Baker's retirement. He didn't initially, he didn't really sound like he wanted to to totally go, but maybe he just is just tired of this situation. I hope, and I don't think that he was forced out. I don't think he read the tea leaves and thought, okay, yeah, they really kind of want to move on from me, so I'll pull the trigger first. I don't think it was that. He had every right to come back if he wanted to. If he wanted to come back, he should have been allowed to come back. And I, because of my views on that, I got into some Twitter beeps with some people, and I really didn't understand the motivation. Where, where are you coming from with this? Are you going to say you're going to ignore the overall umbrella of success because of some in-game decisions and the fact that you lost in a game seven a couple times and you, you, know, you didn't do well at home this year? I mean, are we micro-deciding <laughs> because of one or two things on the field or something that happened in May or April on the field and an in-game decision that you didn't like and you're going to ignore this massive amount of success we've had? Or is it something else? You hate to be cynical and say, well, well is it because he's an old baseball guy? He's not an analytics guy. He's not an A.J. Hinch type. Or, or is it something else? I, I don't know what it stemmed from, but he should have been allowed to stay. And so I had come to the defense of Dusty Baker. And so I did a little bit of research, and I'm going to bring this to the table now. Because this season, it never really felt like the Astros were even going to – there were times you really didn't even know that they were going to get to the playoffs. You had to wait to the final weekend to see if you could get in. You swept the Arizona Diamondbacks, and you ended up winning the division because the Rangers kind of choked a little bit down the stretch. But yet, you know, you won a division on the final day. But it never felt like this was a World Series year. You never felt like, okay, we're going back. You know, people were out and people were injured. And I really don't blame Dusty for them not getting back to the World Series. And obviously, if you look at that game, it seems like no matter what moves he would have made, everybody was getting rocked. Everybody was getting knocked out of the park. So if they get into your pitching, if it's their night, it was just their night. Now, there were some decisions in there that I probably would have made different. But just like everybody else, this man feeds his family. He has built generational wealth behind the game of baseball. He lives it. He's a baseball lifer. But like everybody else, I watch about 120 games, not totally, 
But I checked in on probably 150 games on the season, and I'm, I'm sitting here in judgment of his decisions. But that's what we do. You have lawyers and short order cooks and people who have nothing to do with baseball. They'll watch some games and form opinions, and now all of a sudden, Dusty Baker ain't in your opinion. That's kind of what some of these folks are out here doing. So I'm not doing that, but I do have my thoughts. And this is not Monday morning quarterbacking. These were contemporaneous. I was, I felt like this at the game. I was not sure I would have gone with McCormick. In game seven, I would have went with Dubon. And I probably would have stuck with Hunter Brown a little bit longer. And I definitely would not have kept J.P. France in as long. But that being said, you put in other pitches and they're getting rocked. So it just wasn't that night. But let's talk about the Dusty Baker era. Because I want some respect put on his name. Because this is an era that is the best era in Houston sports of any Houston organization. Now, again, some of that preceded him. But understand, when he got here, what was it about? It was about the cheating scandal. This organization was in a public relations shambles. They were pariahs. Nobody was rocking with the Astros. And everybody said, oh, you have a team full of cheaters. Break them up. Suspend them all. And baseball, to me, they made the deal that they made. You can second-guess the deal that they made by giving the players immunity. But if they wanted to get to the bottom of it, that's the way you get to the bottom of it. And they've also scapegoated the Astros. And, and, and that's a whole different conversation. I don't even want to go down that road because you know how I feel about that if you've listened for any length of time. There are other teams, many other teams, that have done the same things, but they realize, okay, we can't really expose the Red Sox and the Yankees to the degree we expose the Astros because we want to protect the integrity of the game. And if you start saying it's not just the Astros, I'll give you an analogy. Look at the NBA, Tim Donaghy, the referee. They're going to tell everybody and convince you that he was the only referee that was influencing the outcomes of games because of gambling. He was the only one. He was the lone wolf. And that's what baseball did with the Astros. They're the only ones. Because now if you look at everybody and you put everybody in there, it becomes the steroid era all over again. While the steroid era was going on, it was great for baseball. The aftermath was pretty rough. And we're still dealing with that when it comes to Hall of Fame votes and all that. And Barry Bonds and all of that. So I say that to say they scapegoated the Astros. So they were in shambles. Dusty Baker comes in. Dusty Baker, the first year, 2020. That was the COVID year. 60 and 29, ALCS. 2021, 95 and 67. Won a division, lost in the World Series. And again, ALCS. 2022, go back to the World Series. Go back and win the World Series. Won your division, 106 and 56 on the season. This season, with all of these injuries, still 90 and 72, won a division. And again, for the seventh straight time, they went to the ALCS for the fourth time under him. Now, let's look at 2023, just to say, tell you how great he was. You lost Verlander to free agency. He came back, played 11 games, right? Lance McCullers out for the season, starting pitcher, a major starter in your rotation. You lose Luis Garcia to injury. He only played in six games, done for the year. He's probably your number three starter, okay? I mean, if McCullough's in there, maybe three or four, 
Okay, and then you lose Altuve for 90 games. He broke his hand in the World Baseball Classic. Well, he only played 90 games. So, again, he missed the, the start of the season with the broken hand. Jose Urquidy, he only played in 16 games. Jordan, he played 114 of 162 games. You know, Michael Brantley only played in 15 games. And you still win 90 games with a – I mean, you talk about guys like Corey Jokes coming and playing and so many other guys that came throughout the season that stepped up and, and made plays and, and got the Astros to where they got. And so you have to celebrate what he was able to do. And I just want to really appreciate what he was. And the other thing is, let's know who we are. Because I talk about a lot of sports and I see a lot of different uh, colleges and, and how alumni, where they think they should be. I'll give you an example. Texas A&M. Texas A&M thinks that they're Texas. Nothing in their past says that they are on the level with the Texas Longhorns. But so many other schools are like that. Same thing with the city of Houston. Now, what are we really talking about? You're talking about people who were wanting to run Dusty Baker off in a city where he should be on the Mount Rushmore of coaches. If you want to talk about Mount Rushmore of, of coaches in the city of Houston, you have Rudy T, back-to-back championships. Bump Phillips is going to be there because he was the right coach at the right time, never went to the Super Bowl, but he is beloved. So he, he gets his honorary spot on the Mount Rushmore coaches. So you got two there. Who else are you going to put on there? Of course, Dusty Baker, in my opinion. Are you going to put A.J. Hinch on there and you knew that the team was under the suspicion of cheating or confirmed that they had cheated and he couldn't control his clubhouse because he said he knew about it, he told them to stop, and they wouldn't listen to him? Is that the guy you're going to put on Houston's Mount Rushmore? I don't think so. Gary Kubiak? Jerry Glanville? Jack Pardee? Who else? Phil Garner? Who are you going to put on the Mount Rushmore in the city of Houston? Okay, so when you talk about running him off, which, again, it's a moot point because he's retired, but all of those Dusty Baker critics, who do we think we are? These are the coaches. I mean, I'm looking at it. Bum Phillips, two AFC championship games, never went to the Super Bowl. Should have. Got robbed. (laughs) Steelers win instead. Rudy T won back-to-back championships 30 years ago. Loving for it. I mean, I like Bill Verdon. Uh, Y'all don't even know who he is. Phil Garner went to the World Series, didn't win it, got swept. So, I mean, what are we really talking about here? But when you look at this era, what you're really looking at are the Atlanta Braves of the 90s. In the 90s, the Atlanta Braves, because if you want to be critical and say, oh, he had all of this talent, he just rolled the wave to, to the World Series. Let's go back and look at Atlanta's run under Bobby Cox. They won in 91, 92, 95, 96, 99. They won all of those ALCSs uh, and, and went eight years in a row, something like that. They only won one World Series in 1995. Now, keep in mind, you had probably one of, arguably one of the greatest starting rotations in baseball. When you talk about Greg Maddox, John Smoltz, Tom Glavin. I mean, obviously, you got the Dodge. You got other pitching staffs that surpassed that with Koufax and Drysdale, if you want to go back. But I'm just saying, like, since I've been watching baseball, since I've been aware of baseball, I can't think of a better starting lineup. I maybe, maybe some of my baseball people can respond to that. 
But Smoltz, Maddox, Glavin, Maddox still underappreciated for how special he was as a pitcher. Just a, that was an incredible era. He had you in and out of the ballpark in two hours. I mean, there wasn't no time clock needed when he pitched. So I say that to say it's hard to win world championships. It's hard to win back-to-back. I think the Yankees were the last ones to do it. So let's ease up and really, really appreciate Dusty Baker and congratulate him on a job well done. You, sir, are on the Mount Rushmore of coaches in the city of Houston. So with that, going to take a brief time out. If you want to respond, give us a call, 832-941-6614. Got a call or two on the uh, sports line. We'll play that, and I'll go over a poll question. So that and, of course, our guests, Michael Bourne and Reggie Brown. This is the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Anyway, you get your podcast. Your children are the most precious gift God has given you. Their well-being is of the utmost importance, and finding childcare that exhibits the same belief is, well, non-negotiable. So why not end your search at Brighter Brains Learning Center? Located in Stafford, Texas, Brighter Brains is a licensed, family-owned and operated daycare that promotes an early educational foundation and provides an environment of love, safety, and quality care for children ages six weeks to five years old. For more information, call 346-328-3717 or visit brighterbrainslearningcenter.org. This is Eddie Robinson, head football coach of Alabama State University. And of course, I listen to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Time for We the People. In the We the People segment, we turn to you guys either through poll questions on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade Facebook page or on the sports line. We have both this time out, and it started after game five when Brian Abreu got suspended, and now that suspended has been sort of delayed until the start of next season after uh, the brouhaha on game, in game five when Adolis Garcia got hit which some people thought was intentional. I did not. And I asked you guys, and overwhelmingly, 90% of you said no, it was not intentional. And here were some of the comments. Michael Chan said, you don't intentionally throw at someone in an LCS or World Series, especially with the stakes so high. You do that in spring training or the regular season. That's my man, Chinchilla Mike. Ronald Scurry said, great call by Dusty to hit him. So he thought Dusty called for it. I don't think Dusty didn't. Dusty was pissed off. He got ejected and wouldn't leave. So that tells you he didn't call that shot. Wayne DeHart, my guy, great actor, great performer. I don't believe it was intentional. And why did he confront Maldonado instead of Abreu? And that's an interesting question. That's an inside baseball thing. Tabari Ross checked in. He said, that's my guy. But, yeah, he intentionally did it on accident. And I don't blame him one bit. Unwritten rules matter. Well, hashtag unwritten rules matter. Well, look, I I said he didn't do it. I said I would have done it the first time next year, and I might do it for the next two or three times. But, again, we'll have a new manager. It'll be a long time from now. But baseball players don't forget. And it's not about the, the celebration. It wasn't about the celebration. It's more about the fact that you want to act a fool at that point. And, really, he's the reason why Abreu got suspended. Had he just gotten hit, and took his base. Abreu wouldn't have got ejected. 
Dusty Baker wouldn't have gotten ejected, but he had he acted a whole ass fool and got his way and created a, a conference, and they decided intent. Now, that's a discussion for another day because we have a long show, and we got a lot to get into, but no. I don't think it was intentional, but if it was, <laughs> I'm not mad at you. So let's go to the phone lines. Let's see what we got this time out. Hey, Devin, it's Melissa. I was calling about the Houston Astros. And first of all, congratulations to them. They had a wonderful season. Yes, there were some ups and downs. At one point, we thought as a fan, we weren't going to, the Astros wasn't going to make it to the playoffs. But of course, they pulled it out and they did. And they went very far. One of the things I wanted to comment on is I do not understand the visceral hate, it seems, appears on social media about Dusty Baker. Some of the comments that I've read, it comes across as if the Astros were in last place. And obviously that wasn't the case, but it's just, wow, unbelievable. I understand that Dusty is supposed to be retiring this year, and best of luck and well wishes to him. And also, I wanted to comment about the suspension thing. I don't understand. Well, first of all, when Garcia got hit by the ball from the pitcher, I didn't understand why he immediately turned to the catcher and started getting in his face and being aggressive with him when the pitcher is the one who threw the ball. Yet, the pitcher is the one who's been suspended. And the other one, he, of course, got thrown out the game. And for the rest of the game, of course, and... Garcia and Dusty, but the whole thing is mind-boggling to me. But yet when Altuve was almost hit literally in his face, it was just like, oh, well, take your time getting up and we'll just move on from here. And there's nothing else there. Nothing. Just whatever. Batters get hit with the ball. That's part of baseball. Again, mind-blown on that as well. Anyway, have a great day. Thanks for calling, Melissa. As always, we certainly appreciate it. And let me say this, um, and she talked about a lot of things. I think that, of course, Garcia turned to Maldonado because he thought Maldonado called for him to be hit. So he didn't look at Abreu, who, by the way, my, my only problem with all of this is Abreu apologizing. Why are you apologizing? Even if it was an accident, the great ones, the Bob Gibsons of the world, didn't apologize even if it was an accident because, A, he should have known the situation. Garcia should have known the situation from the get. Why would it only a two-run lead late in a game that can determine, go a long way toward de determining who's going to the World Series, would I add another man on base? It didn't make baseball sense, and Garcia should have known that. He should have understood that, but if he didn't, if I'm going to bray you, to hell with it. Why am I apologizing to you? I'm not doing that. Because one way to keep batters from digging in in the batter's box is by having that, that air of unpredictability. There were some really big power pitchers who had a lack of control in certain situations, and guys were always afraid to dig in because they didn't know where the ball was going to go. And I think that played to the mystique of pitchers throughout the history of baseball. Abreu should not have apologized, even if it was an accident. But you know what? As much as I think I know about baseball, there's a guy who knows much, much more in Michael Bourne. Now, again, I want to talk about the NFL, and I want to talk about Dwight Howard a little bit after this. But we need to stay on this baseball thing, and we uh, we can do so with a conversation with our guy from the special teams unit, an Astro analyst on television and former major leaguer, our guy, Michael Bourne.
we didn't anticipate the season coming into uh, such an abrupt end, but alas, it has. Astros go down. But the big news today was Dusty Baker calling it at least a career here in Houston. What's your sense of uh, his future? Because it, it seemed a little vague after hearing some of his comments. Do you think he's done? Does he want, want to be done? It was kind of not cut and dry like most retirements are. I really think he's just done on the field. I think that at some point you'll see him be a special assistant to somebody that's higher up, whether it be an owner or somebody that's ahead of baseball operations. But I do think that he he's earned the right to do that. And, you know, I think the travel of a, you know, of a season going in and out of cities, changing time zones, sleep patterns, I think those, those probably have gotten to him a little bit. You know, they've been to the World Series before this year, the last two years, and Almost was, was on the brink of, of another one this year. Do you think, uh, I mean, and I want to give you an opportunity to really talk a little bit about Dustin, what he did for this organization when he came in, at what at the point that he came in after the scandal and all of those things. Talk a little bit about how important that particular manager was at that time in the Astros franchise history. Well, you know, Dusty is a, a manager that's that's been through a lot, you know, with a lot of different teams. They have seen almost everything in baseball. And so the man that was built for the job was Dusty. And Jim Crane knew that. And that's why he picked him. And he actually got them through some turmoil that was hard to go through at the time. You know, every stadium you go into, you get booed and you got signs. So you got to know how to waver through that kind of maneuver through that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, he was the man to do it. And not only did he do that, he brought the city a championship after what happened, after the scandal happened, just to show that, you know, they're still talented enough to win the championship without without all that going on so you know for somebody to be able to do that and the respect that he has in the game that's who you needed that was leading the leading the troops and being a general for the troops well like i said i've been beefing on twitter with people about dusty baker <laughs> after game seven because my whole take on it was like he should come back if he wants to come back he has earned that and i think we've been a little bit spoiled by the success Talk a little bit about some of the criticisms you are hearing or you've heard of Dusty over the last few years. Well, I've heard a lot. I've heard a lot of criticism. But, you know, with greatness comes haters, man. You know, they hated on Jesus, you know. They hated on Jesus. He was perfect. So if they hated on Jesus, they're going to hate on everybody. You know what I'm saying? Right. Nobody, nobody, nobody's safe out there. So with that being said, when you break it down and you look at what happened over the course of when he came, you know, they went to – two World Series and had a title and also was on the brink of going to a third one. And this year, to me, they actually overachieved. You know, like, I, I'm not going to lie. People are probably like, well, what does that mean? Well, when you think about it, for the whole entire season, they wasn't healthy and they never was out the race. You know, if you have that team, you never know who's managing that team if they can do with, with what he did. I mean, you're talking about from jump, Altuve was out. Jordan was out. We missed Arkady. McCullers was out. You know, we did have Verland at the beginning of the year. You know, Framble wasn't his normal self a lot of part of the year, but somehow Dusty found a way to maneuver through that. He had a lot of, a lot of ramblers with Diaz, one Diaz to be the starter. I'm not going to even lie. I was one of them, you know, <laughs> but that's why Dusty's the manager. You know what I mean? Like, he makes those decisions, and he's, what I love about him is he sticks to his guns. Whatever he believes, he's going to stick to that, and that's what he's going to ride with to the end. I think he did a great job. You know, they, they was down 2-0 going into Texas, and nobody gave him a chance. People ask me, and you can ask if I had people that I, I told them, I'd say, man, Astros will be back in it because they play great on the road. And I said, I don't know about when they get back home. For some reason, they just can't win at home. But with that being said, he was one game from going to another World Series 
with all those injuries that they have to deal with. And not let's not forget, they still won a division. They won a division again. And, you know, it's, at some points it looked like maybe they're not going to make the playoffs. They lose to the Royals, games they shouldn't lose. But somehow he gets the troops together and get them rallied up to, to, to be able to answer that bell once again. And again, uh, we talked about this in prior podcasts where the team, we just can't, no one can figure out what the problem was at home. Is this something that the organization should really take a look at, or is it just one of these fluky things? Obviously, it happened in the World Series versus the Washington Nationals, and it happened again here. Unprecedented losing at home in seven-game playoff series. What do you do if you're the organization about that, about the slumps at home? Is it something you concern yourself with or not? Well, I mean, only thing you can really do is, you know, you can ask the players, well, why do they feel that way? Because they're the one playing. You know, there's nobody else out there playing but the players. Ask them what they see, what they think the problem is. But I don't really think it's a problem, to be honest with you. People can say that, but it's not like I can't point one thing out. People point to hitting. Well, sometimes they hit and they didn't pitch. So then if they pitched, they didn't hit. So it's not one thing to me that's really a problem. It's just one of those fluky things, I think. But the best thing you can do to me is gather the troops around and ask them. You know, gather gather the players around and ask them, hey, what do y'all feel? Why, why y'all think the reason is that we don't play good at home? They're family. So we all have to tackle this together if I'm them. We'll see what next year holds. I have no one reason why they don't play good at home. I've tried to look at everything, pitcher, bullpen, Day game, night game, it, it doesn't matter. I've looked at all of it that I can look at it and be like, I can't point one thing onto why they don't play good at home. So let's talk about game seven because there is some room for debate and consideration. And I want to talk a little bit about Christian Javier. It seemed like the Rangers made some sort of adjustment. They talked about that on the broadcast, that rising fastball. They were able to catch up with that. Talk a little bit about the ability of a team to be able to do that mid-series at this stage of the season when they've seen him before this season. There you go. They've seen him before this season. It's not like this is the first time facing him. As a matter of fact, that's the second time they've seen him in this series. So, this is the big leagues, man. The best athletes make the best adjustments. That's why they're up here. You know, you got Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon over there. That Those are two, two players that they paid tremendously that, to me, I got Corey Seager as one of the top ten hitters in the game. Like, he's just... I've watched him a lot, and I played against him a little bit at the beginning of his career. He had a, some, a big hit against him. But I just think that, you know, when you got somebody like like, like we talked about before, you asked me about Bruce Bochy and Dusty. They're both – that's why I gave it a tie because they're both Hall of Fame managers to me. You know, they're both great. And Bruce Bochy is going to make the adjustments, and he has the staff to make the adjustments. You know, with Will Venable over there on the Rangers side, who also was a, was a, was a player that used his mind a lot, a Princeton alumni. So you just have to know that teams like that are going to make an adjustment to what they did. And to me, the hardest thing about it is that they got they got out to a big lead right ahead, 3-0 right ahead. So in a game seven, they feel like you're down 10-0. But I still thought they had a chance. Even when they were down 8-3, to I still thought they had chances. But they just couldn't come through and try to put a little pressure on the Rangers. That's, that's the ultimate goal when somebody's up like that to put pressure on the other team. That's what you really want to do. I know they answered a couple of times, but they couldn't just – the onslaught just continued. Yes. Uh, uh, the, yes. the, the keep sticking with uh, J.P. France and pitching to Garcia when it was 6-2. I mean, talk a little bit about that because that is one thing you can point to and say, okay, why did you, you – know, why do we do that in that situation and not make a move? Well, okay, so you, 
you got to think. Like, so Dusty has a plan in place, right? That in his dream world, he wants Javier to probably go five to six in. But he also has a plan in place. If he gets in trouble, who do I go to right away? Which he went to Hunter Brown. Hunter Brown looked pretty good. But well, he, he went to Maytown. He went to Maytown first, and, and he got her out. And then, yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah. Then Hunter Brown. You're right. Then, but Hunter Brown, he looked good, but he didn't look like – he didn't look spectacular to where you can just keep him in there. He's like he was around the zone a lot, getting a lot of long counts, you know, so his next goal was friends. Let's say he went to Arquita before friends. They still hit him. Yeah. You know, it was – I don't think they had an answer to it. Like, I, everybody can try to guess, and everybody can say that, hey, you know what, we always say this – to people that, that and I'm in, and I'm watching watching the game with people, I say, yeah, it's much easier hitting from the couch, ain't it? Because when you're in that box and when you when you're in that dugout making those decisions while it's going on, oh, that's that's a totally different ball game than after the game is over. What I would have done, oh, I would have put this person in. They should have put him in, and they should have went to Bray you in the fourth. Man, I, I, I get tired when people hear I'll say all that because that's just you don't know what you're talking about. You have you have never been in that dugout doing that at that time. When that time is going on right there at at that present time, it's totally different because the clock is ticking and you got to make a decision and you don't know how this person is going to perform when they come in. As just the te- Texas won, they won. I give them props; they won the series. You cannot you cannot blame it on Dusty. You cannot blame it on the Astros. This uh, this all this other crazy stuff. No, they won. It's just that simple. So looking forward, and I'll, I'll get your World Series prediction, but. It has some decisions to make moving forward on Brantley and, and uh, Maldonado, a couple other guys. What do you forecast? I mean, so much has to happen between now and then. Dana Brown has to make some decisions, but what do you see specifically with those two guys? I would like Maldonado to come back, but I would like Maldonado to come back as the backup catcher. I would like Diaz to start next year as a starting catcher. I think it's this time. He's proven that, you know, a lot of people was talking about him in the playoffs, but I'm like, man, he's having sporadic at-bats. He's, ha- he's hitting here and there. Like, I want him to go in there and know that he's the full-time catcher. I heard now, rightfully so, this has happened. I heard that Bruce Bochy brought Marcus Simeon in and told him, hey, you know, I want I, you're going to lead off for me, which I know he's paid. You're going to lead off for me, and you're going to be in there every day. When you need a day off, you come tell me. Other than that, we're rolling with you. I want them to do that with Diaz. You know why? Because as a player, it makes you feel so much more comfortable and you feel so much more at ease knowing that you're going to be in the lineup and knowing that you have that to go. You know, you don't have to worry, look over your shoulder, come to the ballpark, let me see if my name is in the lineup, let me let me look over my shoulder, the bench coach going to come tell me I'm not playing tomorrow. You don't have to do that. Just know he's the starting catcher. He's earned that right to me, and to me, it's his time. So I do want to ask you, back to the series, because I do want to ask you about Tucker struggling and Pena. Yes, uh, what, what, did, what did you see? What did you notice? What happens in those situations when guys just don't don't perform? I mean, Tucker really seemed like even his body language was a little bit down, and he's not a guy that shows a lot of emotion one way or the other, but he, he did show a little bit of frustration. He did swing at a lot of first pitches. What did you see from, from Kyle Tucker? Pressing a little bit, like you said, swinging that first pitches. I did notice his body language as well, Devin. I did. I, I recognized that quick, and I was looking at his body language, kind of looking at his eyes and looking at how he might have felt or how confident he was. Because we all know he can hit. He's hit his whole career pretty much. and um, But he just didn't have it, and he couldn't find it. He couldn't find it. That was a big bat missing out of the lineup. But that happens, you know. I feel like the Astros have enough offense to cover that. And to me, 
these three things will always win in the playoffs. I don't care what you say or what nobody says, not just you, but anybody says. Right. Pitching, defense, and timely hitting. That's why the Diamondbacks are in the, in the World Series right now. I'll say it again. Pitching, defense, and timely hitting. And one more other thing that people don't want to acknowledge, old school baseball. What I mean by that, what I mean by that, that runner at third base, he comes in. You know why? There's not too many striking out. I'm leaning out over the plate. I'm trying to get the ball in any kind of way I can. I remember the Astros had a couple of instances where they could have got people in, and they just didn't do it. Yeah. They just didn't do it. And and, and that, that starts to hurt as time goes on. They had a couple of chances in game six where they didn't do it. I think Dubon had, had a chance. At, it just wasn't a great at-bat, man. I mean, I like Dubon as a player, but when you're in those situations, you really have to bear down and try to take advantage of the situation. Not saying you're going to come through all the time. But you have to bear down in those situations and try to come through. So, did you have a problem with McCormick over Dubon, or would you have liked to have seen it the other way around? I mean, obviously, this is in hindsight, but with Dubon in there as opposed to to McCormick, what what do you think about that? Because in that first inning, that seemed like a play Dubon might have been able to make. When in the first inning, when uh, McCormick couldn't get to that ball, Brantley dove for it and it bounced oh, away. Yeah. You could say, I, I really don't know, because McCormick was playing good. So was Devon. You know, like, I mean, they both had these they parts where they were playing great. So I don't really have a problem with the way Dusty did that. They probably looked at some things in the lineup, who they were facing, why they had McCormick in there. He might Maybe he had better success against Montgomery. I don't have that in my face to be able to tell that part. So right. that's hard to say. Uh, McCormick is a natural outfielder. Uh, Dubon plays a great center field, but he neither one of them are normal center fielders. Neither one of them are like, Defensive-wise, like, just your top-tier elite center field of defense to me. But Dubon is probably better defensively a little bit. But McCormick is swinging a good bat. You know, he had some good – he made a great catch uh, in the World Series against uh, the Phillies last year. So, I don't really – to me, I would roll what Dusty did. Put McCormick in there and, let, and let's see what happens. Yeah, I did ask you about Pena. Did you see anything about Pena? Is this a sophomore slump because he came up so big last year in the playoffs? Yeah. I mean, you you can't expect a repeat performance, but he really struggled hitting the, the baseball in the ALCS. What did you see? One thing I see about him is that he sits in between a lot. And what I mean by sits in between, he sits in between the fastball and the slaughter. He's not really sold out on one of them throughout the count. You know, and when you sit in between – you kind of you kind of have a two strike approach where you're trying to battle because you don't want to get beat by the fastball, but you don't want to look foolish on the slider, right? So to me, I rather you pick one or the other. If at me personally, I'm going to pick the fastball because I just I've always felt like this: if it's a good slider, you're not going to hit it, and you, you ain't doing nothing with it anyway. I don't care who you are, unless you maybe bare bones or Griffith, but most of them they not they not looking to hit no they not looking to hit a slider that's on the corner. You know, so to me, I've seen it a lot with him. You know, I would see him get beat by fastballs. So when he's getting beat by fastballs to me, that tells me he's not sitting on it. Then I would see him hit the fastball. Like, I think he had a 3-1 count in game seven, and he got a base hit. Well, he was sitting dead red fastball. So that tells me that he, he can catch up to the fastball. He's just not sitting dead red on the fastball because he's worried about that slider. And so to me, for my approach with him, if I was able to talk to him, I would try to tell him, let's see – like, let's game plan against these pitchers. If these pitchers are heavy fastball, let's, let's go on the fastball. If, but if you, if you feel like they're going to throw you a lot of sliders, let's sit on the slider. Yeah. But for me, I like to see him sit on that fastball just a little bit more, just a little bit more, because I just feel like that when he's on the fastball, 
he'll start to see the slider as time goes on. But if you see, if you watch him, you can see it. You can see it because when he gets beat by the fastball, I know right then I'm like, yeah, he's he's not sitting there red fastball. He's not. He's too far behind it. With that, a couple more things I do want to ask you about. And one more thing about Dusty, going back to Dusty, how important is it to the morale and the development of players to have a players manager like Dusty? Because we can talk about in-game decisions, but talk a little bit about the relationship and how he controls the clubhouse and manages the team off of the field. How much of a difference does that make and how can it help guys? Because I think his approach help really help guys get the best out of themselves. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Such a great question. So when you talk about Dusty with this, I want to go back to somebody I watched and I really broke down a little bit. And that was Phil Jackson with the Bulls. Like when you look at that team that they had, they had a great team, right? They had all, they had Michael Jordan, they had the Scotty Pippins, the Dennis Rodman's, the cool coaches at times, the Kerr's, the whoever you want to name, B.J. Armstrong on the first one. But the biggest thing, with, like what you said, Devin, is that Phil knew how to manage personalities, manage people. Off the, they had so much going on on that championship team. I mean, Dennis Rodman going to Vegas, all type of crazy stuff. But he knew how to manage the personalities and get that team to get the best out of each other. That's what Dusty is good at in baseball. So when you talk about a manager like that, he has to have gone through something off the field to understand what the players are going through that's on the field today to be able to talk to them about, you know, it's, it's so much going on, you know, like in everyday life, not before you come to the park. You know, you got stuff that's going on with your family, maybe going on with your kids. Maybe you got into something that you weren't supposed to get into that you don't have somebody to talk about. But if you can confide in one of your managers and he can, and can be able to, he can put that fire out, and still have you be able to play, now you're talking about a manager that you can trust. And guess what else? You're going to go hard for him. You're going to play hard for him. You're going to respect him. You're going to respect his call when he makes a call. And that's what Dusty brings to me because he's he's so certified around the league. Well, final question. I mean, it's a tough World Series because the Astros own the Rangers all regular season long and owned them in Arlington. And also they swept Arizona in the last series of the regular season. So it's kind of sort of a bitter thing because the Astros dominated both of those teams at different points of the year. But that's the World Series we have. Give me your thoughts on the World Series. And if you want to give us a prediction, you certainly can. Oh, man, I. You know, I watched both series very close with Astros and the Rangers. I watched a lot of the Phillies and Diamondbacks. And one thing I noticed about the Diamondbacks that really struck me well is that they never give up in the game. And they really do play old school baseball. They bunt runners over. They take the base hit when it's there. They pitch. And I'm going to tell you, their, their equalizer to me is the back end of that bullpen. I was very, very impressed with the back end of that bullpen from 7-8-9. When they have the lead, they remind me of the Kansas City Royals, the Braves when I played with them with Kimbrell and O'Flaherty and Ventus. They have that back end of that bullpen that's really a stabilizer, and they, sh- they shrink the game very well. With that said, Texas bullpen can be a little shaky. They've given it up a little bit. Their clothes can be all over the place sometimes. Yeah. Chapman has been pretty good for them, but, you know, some people, they get to him at times too as well. So, for me, I think the Rangers' offense is a little bit more seasoned. I think Bochi has the the manage the managerial edge. I got the Rangers winning it, but I would not be surprised if the Diamondbacks pull this off. I will not because of how they play, but they're very young. 
and very young, and the Rangers have a little bit more experience. Just because Seager's been there before, Simmons a little bit more of a veteran, even though he's never even played in the, in the World Series. They have a little bit more experience, but I would not be surprised to see Arizona pull this off just because how scrappy they are and how they play and how they don't give up. And they, I tell you one, one, one thing that that gives another thing that gives the Diamondbacks an edge. They had the best defensive team in the major leagues this year, and we all know defense wins championship. Offense puts people in the stands. I tell you what was interesting about them in Game Six and Seven in Philadelphia. Arizona saw something. And they started stealing bases. I think they stole like yes. six bases in the last two games or something crazy like that when they didn't well, steal any in the first few games. That first base coach of uh, God, I'm forgetting his name. I can't, I, I played for him and I can't believe I can't remember his name. But that first base coach is known for being able to pick signs up. He That's that's why he's there. He's been there for the last 10 years. He was with the Cardinals before, before then. And he's a, he's a very knowledgeable of just sign stealing, be able to pick up on little things that's going on that people might not pick up on. Him and David Lopes are the best first base coaches I've ever had. And they David Lopes was, was very good at it too. But Dave McKay. Dave McKay is his name. I can't believe I can't believe Dave. <laughs> Dave McKay is very good over there. And that's who that's the reason they steal bases like that. And they did it off of JT Realmuto that was which was unbelievable. He's a great catch throw guy. I just like the way they play, man. Like they really scrap you to death. They would they and they can hit they can hit the power too. They can hit the ball at the ballpark. But they don't just lean on that. And I'm just telling you, that Diamondback City can really, really play. And they're hot right now. Well, hey, any endorsement for a manager, by the way? I, I didn't ask you that, and I didn't mean to. But anybody you see out there would be a good replacement for Dusty uh, in the Astros organization or outside of it? So right now, I have the value for my friend Eric Young. I like Eric. I've known Eric for a while. And uh, he's the first base coach for the Braves. His name has been mentioned. He really understands the game. He, he was breaking the game down. We actually watched the game together and uh, on Game 7. So he was really breaking some stuff down, and he, he understands the game a lot. So I, I hope he gets his chance. I think that would be great for him. He also lived in the city of Houston, played for Houston, coached in the Houston organization for a little while. And uh, that's the person that I, that I will say that I hope he gets the opportunity to do it. Hey, well, we certainly appreciate it. And, again, on short notice, you came through again. It was yes, a full sir. count. You knocked it out of the park. <laughs> and, uh, of course, maybe we'll catch up with you, uh, get some hot stove conversation because your, your insight has been so interesting, and I so uh, appreciate your input and so many of the listeners have as well. So we certainly appreciate you. your time. Thank you. I'll do it anytime. To have your comments heard, call 832-941-6614. I want to thank Michael Bourne for that conversation, and not just that one, but all of the conversations we've had over the last few weeks about baseball. He's really been my inside baseball guy, and I've appreciated his insight. And if you have, let him know and let us know by calling the sports line, 832 832- 941-6614. Going to hear from our resident DJ. Come back on the other side with some thoughts on uh, Dwight Howard and the NFL. And, of course, hear from Reggie Brown. This is the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Anywhere you get your podcast. Sports Talk with Devin Wade wants to thank our sponsor, Kofi Bankus and CoBank Homes. The vision at CoBank Homes is simple, and it stems from the belief that clients can trust CoBank to guide them to realize one of, if not the single largest investment decision they will ever make, their home. CoBank simply looks to build lifelong relationships through service. They do this by 
using faith, knowledge, and technology to guide clients through the process of achieving their real estate goals. Be it buying, selling, or investing in real estate, contact Kofi at 832-757-7950. That's 832-757-7950. CoBank Homes through Keller Williams. DJ, DJ Anarchy. And if you have music you want heard on the podcast, just email us music at wadeswordproductions.com. Music at wadeswordproductions.com. The genre doesn't matter. Just email us. You'll hear a snippet at the halfway point and an entire track or an extended portion of a mix at the end of the episode. Well, before I get into the conversation with Reggie Brown, I wanted to talk a lot more about the NFL and the NFL quarterback situation, and we'll get to that. But I wanted to, uh, I mean, something has emerged and gotten my attention. And I didn't really want to talk about this, but it sort of can't be ignored. It's the Dwight Howard situation, and if you don't know, he is in a civil suit with someone who says that uh, he was violated and assaulted by Dwight Howard. And some of the details are out there, including the whole Miss Kitty thing. I'll leave it to you guys to read as much or as little of that as you like. But I will say this, and you might be surprised, but my take on this is that I'm a, I feel a little bit bad for Dwight Howard in, in one respect, in, in this respect. On the other hand, some of the stuff is crazy because you – and not just you, but so many of these people are hooking up with folks on Instagram. Now, again, I don't know. Maybe that's just the way to do it now as opposed to just randomly picking up a woman in a club or a man in a club, whatever the situation may be, meeting someone out and about in person and then moving forward from there. I mean, I guess you can make an argument for both. I don't know if you can or not. It's not my thing to meet somebody, strike up a conversation on the Internet, and then that's my boot. Whatever, however that goes. Now, that is my bigger issue, but that's even something that I can't be critical of given the the atmosphere and the circumstances in which people connect with one another in today's society socially. The reason why I have some sympathy for Dwight Howard is simply because when he came into the league, we were not prepared. And I'm not sure if we still are prepared. Now, I mean, again, collectively as a society, and I think – I think essentially we are at this point. Whatever you want to do, everybody is good with it. There's not a problem. But think about when he came in the league. 
Was America ready for a gay superstar? Now, of course, we've had gay players come out, but they, they're just guys. They're, they're fringe guys. They're not the guys you're going to talk about after the game or talk to after the game because they were the focal point of their team's success or failure. So Jason Collins is a guy that he was a, a serviceable NBA guy. And, of course, Sam, uh, well, the, the rush in, he, he uh, the kid from Missouri, he made a lot of headlines, but he wasn't a star. He didn't even end up making it into the league, and you can debate about whether or why he didn't. And some people would be like, oh, because he was gay. I don't think it was that. But, you know, that's an argument for another day. Uh, but there have been other guys that have come out gay, but have we ever had a gay superstar in the three major sports? And I – no, we haven't. I mean, and at his peak, Dwight Howard was – the guy, one of the two or three guys in the league when he was with Orlando, went to NBA championships. He is a household name, not just for basketball people. People know who he is. And so were we ready for that so he could live whatever his truth is? Now, again, personally, I don't care. And I think most people don't care. I mean, it's too much going on to worry about what somebody does with it, with their personal life. I think it's always... <laughs> it's too much information when all of these details come out. And so people are going to have fun with that. And I don't care if it was a gay or heterosexual situation. You talk about Miss Kitty. I don't care what the circumstances are. That's going to get a chuckle out of some people. And it's going to be, you know, amusing. But again, nobody wants the details of whatever their their thing is, whatever their likes and dislikes are. You don't want that all over, you know, for open up for public scrutiny. Although with today's society, they share too much anyway. But I'll just say this. I feel bad that he couldn't leave his, live his truth. And when you can't do that, you do things in secret. And you leave yourself open to be blackmailed or threatened or, you know, where you have to pay people off to keep your secret. And that's not cool. And I think this is what this situation, this is what I think. Now, again, I don't know any of it, but I think that he probably was blackmailed and said, Hey, if you don't say, give me this amount of money or now again, those charges have not been presented, but I'm sure that that conversation has been had. Like this made me feel uncomfortable. If you're not going to pay, I'll just take you to court and everybody will know your truth. Now, again, I'm speculating on all of this. I don't know any of this, but when you have a secret, you have to trust. And in this case, a, a person you met on Instagram, you have to trust that person with your secret. And obviously that person was not to be trusted with his secret. Now, again, now if he did violate this person, then whatever happens in court happens in court. But I think a key component of this was his truth would be exposed. And it was. And so I, again, while whatever Dwight Howard can do, whatever he wants to do, that's his business. It wouldn't bother me if the rocket signed him, if he was able to contribute in a way that was going to lead to long-term success. Not with this team, they're young. You don't, you don't have to have that guy on this team. Just like you don't have to have James Harden on this team. It doesn't have any do anything to do with sexual orientation. Certain veteran guys you don't necessarily want on this team. You got a couple of veterans and Fred Van Vliet and uh, a couple other guys that you can count on for some veteran leadership. But you know, so you don't need the the former superstar, whether it's Harden or Dwight Howard. But I'm saying if I had another team and he could step in and contribute on the court, I wouldn't have any problem with that. But I just think that he came in at a time when he couldn't be his true self 
And now he now he can't. But, you know, he still seemingly doesn't want to admit to anything publicly. And it's not our business, ultimately. But he can't live his truth publicly. And these things sort of uh, tend to happen. So with that, let's get into our conversation about the NFL. We're former NFL wide receiver. I got the special teams unit, Reggie Brown. Here's that conversation. I have to tell you this, Reggie. I can identify with you this week. I know what you've been feeling since about July with the Astros going out. I know how you feel as a Yankees fan when your team doesn't come through. So it's a tough week for me. So I'm a little bit in mourning about the Astros losing Game Seven. But man, welcome aboard! <laughs> welcome aboard! I know you ain't you felt this same pain in July when you guys were out of the race. <laughs> well, the difference is y'all got them little two itty bitty championships. Whenever I start feeling bad about a Yankee season, I get to rely on them 27 championships, the greatest franchise in MLB. History, so I'm good. Yeah, well, like I said, we can debate all of that another day because anything before the 90s kind of don't count for us, for you and I, for the sake of our conversation. But also, like, I felt bad for you guys, and I, you know, I'm, I'm like second guessing myself. I'm like, have I been duped? Have I been, you know, fooled? Have I been bamboozled by the Miami Dolphins and the San Francisco 49ers? It seems like when these teams get off to these fast starts, we are so quick to jump on board the bandwagon. And then a couple things happen, and you're like, oh, wait, we were wrong. Are we wrong about the Miami Dolphins when it comes to playing quality football teams? Well, I think that, number one, no, you're not wrong. And then number two, when you are down three offensive linemen, when you're down David A. Chain, when you're down Xavier Howard, when you're down Raheem Mostert and when you're down playing in a hostile environment like Philadelphia, you know, I was pretty proud of the team because it should have been a blowout. But you look at that, what happened in that game. I mean, Tyreek drops a touchdown. The penalty discrepancy is 10 to zero. But going deep into the fourth quarter, we were still right there. So I think that that proves that this team has some moxie. And in an NFL season, you're going to lose some football games. So I was more encouraged by that loss than I was encouraged by, say, the New York Giants win or the Carolina Panthers win. Well, I mean, the narrative that came out of this, and it may be a lazy narrative, but the narrative seems to be, oh, well, this is a, a speed team, but can they handle tough, physical, December, January football? And I know for a Dolphins fan, that must suck if you really think that you can. But, I mean, is that just a lazy narrative, or is it some validity to that? Well, I'm, I don't know if it's necessarily validity to it. But until we prove those narrative wrong, people are going to get a chance to say what they say. So uh, you you got to win games late in December, and we got to prove that we can beat some good teams. We, You know, when we played the San Diego Chargers at the beginning of the season, they were thought to be a good team. The Giants were thought to be a good team this year going into the season. Obviously, New England is always going to be a tough out. They just beat um, the Buffalo Bills. So it's a lazy take in the aspect of every game in the NFL, anything can happen. But I, I am totally confident that 
you know, we're going to win 11, 12, 13 games this year, and we're going to be right there in the thick of things for the playoffs. Well, you talk about the other team that has a lot of question marks now. Well, two other teams, for that matter, Buffalo Bills. Right now, as we speak in a dogfight with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but like you said, they lose to a division rival. And, I, you know, I don't ding teams so much for division rival games because those guys know you. They play you twice a year. They're not afraid of you. They're familiar with you. There's games within games in these division matchups. So I don't ding them as much, but they have not looked good. San Francisco – it's just, I mean, what are, what's happening to these teams we thought were powerhouses? Well, it's pretty simple, man. You get a couple of injuries here and there, and all of a sudden, you know you're not as dominant as you once were. I mean, McCaffrey was banged up a little bit. Debo was banged up a little bit. Your quarterback goes out late in that football game. And so now, all of a sudden, a team that looked invincible now becomes mortal-like. And then, you know, other teams... You know, they pounce on that. We got a chance now to beat them. And their, you know, energy level turns up. And so all of a sudden, you find yourself in a dogfight. And that's been the same with the Bills. I mean, the Bills haven't played well offensively this year. You know, they played some really close games. And as long as you can hang around and hang around and hang around, all of a sudden, Mac Jones makes a play and they lose that football game. So that's right. the Dolphins, you know, I hear the narrative about the Dolphins. But Dolphins are beating teams that they're supposed to beat, and they've been in good games with teams that they, you know, are on their level. Well, let's talk a little bit about something, and I don't know how much of this you saw, but the officiating has been a a big issue. I don't know if you Uh, saw the end of the Cleveland-Indianapolis game. That was just – that was bad, and that's that's bad for the game. I think the Pittsburgh game where Pickett got the spot on fourth and short – I just thought, man, why are we still having these problems when we have super HD cameras and access to really right all the wrongs? Why are we still having these officiating issues? It it just doesn't make any sense. Like you said, you know, you, you can easily go to the replay and look and find out and see what's going on and, you know, make the adjustments on the call in the NFL you know, is just hesitant to do those things. And then you look at the Buffalo Bills, they should have lost the game against the Giants on a bad call. And then uh, and then they lose the game against New England on a bad call. And the Dolphins, you know, the discrepancy in penalties is 10 to 0. Tyreek dropped a, you know, he dropped a touchdown, but on one, he was clearly held. I mean, on the fourth and 10 play, the guy grabbed Cedric Wilson's face mask and spent him around. And it's unthinkable. And, you know, that's when those conspiracy theorists start with the Vegas talk and the line and the this and the that. You, know <laughs> you I mean? open yourself up to it. Huh? <laughs> right. I, I just don't know why it has why it has been so bad this year. Well, I mean, some other things going on in the NFL. It seems like I think we will look back at this period of time and say, okay, this is sort of the hangover for one of the greatest eras in quarterback play in NFL history. Because now really kind of gone is Rodgers, gone. I mean, obviously he may come back. Gone is Roethlisberger, Brady, Peyton Manning. You know, it's, it's – you know, you got one great quarterback in Pat Mahomes, and then you have a, a bunch of other guys that could be that are on any given Sunday, 
And then after that, you don't even have that when you comes to uh, when it comes to quarterback play. What do you say about the state of the NFL, especially when it comes to quarterback play? Man, that's a, that's a great question right there. One, I think the college game, as much as we talk about what it's doing to offensive linemen, I think it's doing the same thing in, in, in the, at the quarterback position where defenses are so complicated, they mix things up. And in college, you know, it's just the run and shoot, throw the ball all around the field, and quarterbacks aren't charged to read defenses. They don't check out of plays. You know, you don't rely on a running game. So these guys are relying mainly on athletic ability. And when you know, when you get to the NFL, it is more about what's between your ears than your right arm or your or your legs. And so we got to get back to training quarterbacks and, you know, going through that thing. And the, and the college game, while exciting, I think it's really hurting a lot of guys when they get to the NFL because they haven't been coached up, if you will, on the professional game. Well, I mean, it seems like, okay, you got a bunch of guys that are see, almost like this is what I think about. And this is just me kind of going off a little bit on this. So what what I see in the game of football a lot, what I see is a lot of guys who have been coached up a lot and are maxing out. Whereas in the past, you know, you had, you know, the just the pure talent would always rise to the top and then everybody would get coached up. So now you got guys getting scholarships. Their, their ceiling isn't that high, but they are maxing out on their potential. And I think you see the same thing at the quarterback position. I think you see guys that are super coached up. They're just not as talented as some of the greats or some of the exceptional quarterbacks of the past. Does that make sense what I'm saying? It, it, it does. I would just give pushback and I don't know how much they're, they're coached up. You know, I, I don't, I see a lot of college stuff is one read, throw the ball here, throw the ball there, run and shoot wide open, find the open man. There's not a, and you know, in the NFL game, you know, it first starts with protection. You got to make sure the protection is right. You know what I mean? That's where it starts setting. You got to get yourself protected. And then you look at the combinations and you got to read defense. And what looks like a cover two, it turns into a cover four, a cover six, a cover eight. And all of this, you know, things are happening before the ball even snaps. Where in the college game, it's like get up to the line, look around, and snap the ball. And I think that that, in my mind, that is what's happening. I don't think they're being coached up on the nuances of the game like they're going to see in the NFL. Yeah, and what I meant was, especially at the quarterback position, you know these guys play seven on seven. They've been quarterbacks since, they've been, since they were That's nine up. years old, and, and and they got their personal quarterback gurus, and you got all these guys that are, you know, they had these quarterback schools and quarterback camps, and, you know, they've been doing the same thing in the same position for so many years, and then you get to the NFL and just – you know, again, you're prepared, but you're just not as good as, say, a Warren Moon or a John Elway or, you know, if you go back to that era, uh, uh, Randall Cunningham. I mean, you can name any number of guys from that era. Uh, you know, I don't know. And, and, and that well, was, I think – I certainly think that they have the arm talent and all of those things comparatively. Certainly C.J. Stroud has the arm talent. Uh, you know, Justin Herbert has the arm talent. Joe Burrows has the arm talent. They have all of those things. What they don't have is like the guys that you talked about, the Marinos, the Moons, the Elways, between the ears is what they're missing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, like I said, and, and, and I did talk. I didn't talk about Burrow because Burrow's kind of banged up. Herbert, yeah. You know, they put up numbers, that, but like you said, they're just good enough to get their ass whooped. So I, I don't know what to say about the Charger teams, but it's just a, a weird time for the NFL. But the NBA has also gotten underway. I'm not really ready to embrace the NBA. I think I'm going to take the first couple of months to get to get familiar with uh, guys and, and really watch them. I watched a little bit of Wimbenyama, watched the Rockets with their opening, their opening loss to Orlando. Any thoughts on the NBA as now NBA is underway? I kind of feel like you feel that it takes me about 10 to 15 games down the season. You know, the NFL is king and, I'm not sure if basketball should wait a whole nother month before they actually get started. For me, the only thing that's going on in the NBA is the Dwight Howard story. If you know. Well, yeah. So, I, mean, and, and, and I mean, obviously we won't get too deep into that situation. But And, and I did comment on it a little bit earlier. So I got into it a little bit. You know, the bottom line is I think a lot has been – blamed on his sexuality for him not being signed at this point. And a lot of people implied that, okay, they knew this scandal was coming down the pipeline. Here's my take on it, and I'll go brief on it, but I talked about this early. So my, my take on this is a guy like Dwight Howard, and again, whatever his life is, is his life. But if you are gay, you're not really allowed to be gay and that good. I mean, we've seen Friends guys be accepted as gay and everybody loved it and they embraced it. Are we ready for a superstar, which he certainly was in this league? He was a premier, premier player in this league. Are we ready for that? And if we aren't ready for a guy like Dwight Howard to come out, then the issue is, he has to hide. And once you hide whatever your sexual orientation is, you open yourself up to be blackmailed. And and this seems like this kind of is what it was. It was a money grab. Or if you don't, I mean, and again, I'm just presuming that if you don't give me money, I'm going to reveal your secret. So in, in that way, I feel kind of bad that he can't be his, his true self. Are we ready for a superstar in America to big, big star in athletics to be gay? I mean, that's an interesting question. Well, I, I would say that from my experiences, the players know. Because of course, they, of course. And, and so they have already accepted it. You know, there, there was a guy when I played with the Oilers that was known, a hell of an athlete, fringe Hall of Fame guy. And everybody knew on the team who he was and what he was about, and it was okay. And so I think that society will accept it, fans will accept it, if they just be who you are. You know, people are going to judge because that's the nature of society. But for me, it's, you know, you and your God and whatever you believe, and that's all I can say. You know, everybody's going to be them. But I think society has slowly went on this road of being accepting and people just have to be comfortable with with who they are. And I think that's where we are in society. Yeah, because again, like I said, and it just goes back to, like, this is not a non, almost a non-story other than, you know, because this is a civil case. It's almost a non-story if he was already out of the closet. 
Yeah, I well, know. it almost seems like it's a non-story because most people are like, man, we've been knew that. Like, we've been there. Well, once you hear about <laughs> Miss Kitty, I think it takes a whole nother turn. But right. Like, but but here's like, the deal with that. Here's the deal with that. Nobody wants to know any. I mean, if you get into the details of anybody's situation and preferences and things that they like to get into, whether it's straight or not straight or whatever, then when once you get into the details, it all seems weird out of context. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's where you draw the line at. You know, when you start being graphic, again, that's even with heterosexual stuff. Once right. you start getting in people's bedroom, you know that that's just a little weird. Yeah, so it's a, another weird turn. And if people don't know what we're talk about, talking about, I mean, it's certainly out there to be researched if you want to look up the Dwight Howard situation. But it's funny what it's not. And ultimately, like I said, he's not. he hasn't been allowed to be who he is, essentially, I guess. And, and hence, he has these sort of legal issues. Again, and, and I'm taking a lot of liberties with what I think is the scenario here. But nonetheless, uh, swag football, before we get out of here, man, you know, what's going on with Alabama State? I mean, we, we lost uh, to FAMU last weekend. We go to Southern, uh, Texas Southern. What, what about you guys? Where are you guys this well, weekend? Well, we, we got a huge win against uh, Jackson State a couple of weeks ago, and then we got a bye week, and now this week, you know, it's the Magic City, the greatest classic, the greatest classic in. You going? Um, no, I won't be able to go, man. You know, I know I that's your game. It. I gotta, yeah, yeah. But you know, it's gonna be a great game, and uh, we'll see what happens down in the classic. You know, it's gonna be off the chain with Ricky Smiley and Two Chains and the whole Alabama State and and rivalry, and so we should take that game. Uh, I think A and M is struggling a little bit, just like we are. Uh, but I think we're ready. Well, hey, man, any uh, predictions on the World Series before we let you go? Texas, man. I, I can't see for Arizona beating Texas, man. Texas is just, you know, they, they, they just hit that ball out the park, man, and they just stay loaded. So I, I can't see them losing that game. But it's the World Series. Arizona had one in a while. So, hey, man, we'll see. I'm going to take Arizona, and I think because I, I think they got a better pitching staff. I think once you get past – Montgomery and Uvalde, yeah. Uvalde and 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 Max is not Max Scherzer. Uh, you know he's not truly himself. We saw that in two games in the Astro series, but yeah, it's tough one, man. Tough, tough one to to ignore because I'll be. I mean, I like most of America. I probably won't watch very much of it, but it's still a tough World Series to ignore. Thinking that man, we could be in there enjoying ourselves. But hey, quick question: What do you what do you have to say? With Dusty Baker retiring after almost 50 years in the Major League Baseball. And I had a chance to talk to Michael Bourne about this earlier. And I think it boiled down to, I mean, Dusty's older. And that travel is 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 intense at that age. But, I mean, what a Hall of Fame career. I've been in Twitter Man. battles. I don't know if you've seen this. I've been on in Twitter beefs and back and forth about Dusty Baker since Game 7. So I've been fighting this fight for a few days now because a lot of people do not appreciate who and what who he is and what he's done for this organization and when he did it. And you can get into some game situations and some different decisions that could have been made or how he managed this, that, or the other. But the bottom line is that team does not have that kind of success without Dusty Baker being the manager when he came aboard. 
And uh, and I think that we in Houston need to put him in the pantheon of great Houston coaches. He needs to go up there with Rudy T and Bum Phillips, who, who never won a championship, but he should go up there with those guys. And that four-year run will be magical. We will look on this as a golden era in Astros baseball. So let me ask you this. I, I hadn't considered that. So the Astros have been to how many straight ACLS? Uh, ALCS is they've been the seven straight. They've won the division this year. They have uh, gone, you know, to the World Series. They went to the World Series two years in a row. They won two out of the last five or whatever the number was. So yeah, I mean, they've had a. a this is it, this is it. This is the only thing that's similar to this. And you could talk about the different eras of the Yankees because they're they're in the mix too. But this is the longest run going to the ALCS in the history of American League Baseball. Now only the Braves with that era has surpassed what the Astros have done as it pertains to postseason success. And that team under Bobby Cox and probably one of the best pitching staffs in the history of baseball with Glavin, Smoltz, and Greg Maddox, they only won one World Series in that whole run. They went eight times to the NLCS and only won one World Series. So, I mean, I think the Astros era is on par with that. But I think specifically Dusty Baker's era, these four seasons have been you know, tremendous. I, I, I just look at that and say they three, they did it three years in a row before he got there. Well, yeah, he but but again, understand, remember, they were coming off of what was it, the the cheating scandal. They were the GM got run off, the, the manager got run off, a bunch of guys were vilified, they got booed everywhere they went. They were looked at as the Chicago Black Sox. You know what Black I mean? Like, Sox, you know, yeah. you remember the Black Sox there. I mean, yeah. they were looked yeah, at it yeah. like these are nothing but no good cheaters. And he came in at a job that a lot of people didn't want. And he gave that organization instant credibility. From day one, he gave them instant credibility. And because of that, they were able to. And again, the love for playing for him has led to a lot of success. And people don't want to talk about that because they don't know about that. You don't understand the nuances of having a manager that's there for you, that believes in you, that's going to say the right things at the right time so you can perform at your best. And I, that's why I don't think. Uh, but and, that's and still guess. got that old old school swag about it. Got it. Got that two picking them yeah. black uh, black gloves yeah. and yeah. all this yeah. stuff. Yeah. And I, I fear that we didn't appreciate this enough, especially in the hood. On the other side of the tracks, I don't think we we've really appreciated it like we should. So well, yeah. I think when you go to the the run that the uh, Astros have been, the scandal notwithstanding. People get complacent and comfortable with winning, you know, and, and this run as if it's supposed to happen. Yeah. And you can develop a lack of appreciation for that. So I, I totally agree with you on that because to do what the team has done over the last four years is absolutely amazing. Yeah, and you don't get back-to-back champs in baseball because it's so long and you got to be right, healthy at the right time. You got to be hot at the right time. Talent doesn't always prevail. It's situational, and that's what we we found out the other day as the Raiders, uh, the Raiders, beat us up. So great conversation as always, and we look forward to catching up with you real soon. Hey man, thank you for having me on the special teams, my guy. To have your comments heard, call eight three two nine four one. Thanks to Reggie as always. 
about to wrap this one up, but before I let go, before I let go, before I let go, hey, want to thank Reggie, want to thank Michael, want to thank the DJ Anarchy, want to thank Brighter Brains, want to thank you guys, want to thank Melissa for calling. We certainly appreciate the feedback and you partaking. Want to remind you, you can call us on the sports line at 832-941-6614, hours a day. In addition to that, on Facebook, the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group page, and you can join that and be a part of that community. You can thread me or hit me on Instagram at the D Wade and on Twitter at Wade's Word. And you can always go to Wade'sWordProductions.com, the website. But if you can't remember any of that, please remember these four things. Number one, I don't do no favors after 6 o'clock in the evening. Two, I ain't got no money. Three, I'm not harboring any fugitives from justice. And four, bye. This has been the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Remember, you can follow him on Twitter at Wade's Word. Thank you for listening.